Hello, hello, my podcast viewers. Welcome to Sacred Elohim, Diamond Light and Pearl Ministries. This is Kim, your local rabbi and minister here. Um, I welcome you to our next session, the second key of 586 BC and the judgment sign. It's been about a couple weeks since I've been on, um, which is not a norm for me. <laughs> I'm normally on during that time, but I apologize. I've been not only the coronavirus throwing myself out there with excerpts with the coronavirus and what's going on, but also making pop-ins on Facebook and some other places. I'm going to say welcome my Facebook viewers, my podcast, and my Instagram. I'm going to be eventually expanding on to some other issues. Kudos, I finally got on to iHeart. So now we have our podcast on iHeart. And a couple other stations as well. But iHeart was the biggest one. So now I welcome my iHeart viewers. So give me kudos. I finally got on iHeart. So what we will be discussing this week will be the second key of 586 BC and the judgment sign. Uh, I'm kind of condensing it a little bit. So we will be going pretty fast. Won't be quite an hour. I might cut it short. Um, I'm kind of dividing two and three up just to explain a little bit so we, I can get around Passover and possibly uh, finishing two going into three. So our men's Bible study in that, I'm pushing back a week. Um, sorry, guys. Sorry, ladies. Sorry, children. Right now, we're focusing on getting caught up on this, which is my fault. Uh, so we'll just take this as our devotional time. So... I plan eventually our men's devotional will be a total separate series as with the others uh, that I will do. But right now I just do cameos with them. So expect cameos occasionally. Um, So we are talking about the Shemitah, the mystery of it. So we're talking about the second key of 586 BC and the judgment sign. So the first is the prophets in, in the ruin. Number two of our outline is the mystery of the seven years, seven, 70 years. So think about that. Our next one is as long as she lay desolate, who's the she and why is it lay desolate? The next one is the Torah clue. Number five is the covenant sign. What is a covenant sign? When you think about a covenant and a sign, how does that elate? Um, number six is the broken Shemitah. How can a Shemitah be broken? How can a jubilee be broken? Um, Number seven is the Shemitah and the fall of a nation. How does the Shemitah play with the fall of a nation? And how severe can that fall be? Then the Shemitah judgment. And then the Shemitah's desolation. What's a desolation of a Shemitah? Which is number nine. Number ten is the severity, the severe Shabbat. What's a a severe Shabbat? Think about that. A Shabbat is a time of rest. Remember that. And then 11 is the Shemitah and world history. How does the Shemitah play in world history? So we are looking at what Jonathan Kahn has to say. And we're going to start with the prophet in the ruins, which is number one. And we go into Lamentations 1, 1 through 5. And this is what it states. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a window is she? She was great among the nations. Her children have gone into captivity. So what is a captivity and who is this referring to? 
So the prophet walks in the midst of the ruins of a fallen city. Once the capital of his nation, the city of kings and princes, lies in ashes and rubble. The streets are desolate. Yahuwah has destroyed the city where his name was rested. Zion was left in ruins. So what is Zion? He sounds the alarm and warns his nation. There was over and over again this was given. The prophets was repeated, repeated, put in prison over this. Gone was the nation and the temple. Gone was the priest also. The prophet Yarim or Jeremiah, he wept of things going on in the world. The prophecy came true with Babylon conquering the Israelites and Jerusalem. So this was the first espera of the Jewish nation, which would be my people. But also, believe it or not, I'm going to make a little hint. I have more than one people that I am tied to. I'm also a believer. Therefore, my other brethren is Christians. So I have nothing against them. I myself am a worshiper of Yeshua Yahuwah. So therefore, he is my Lord and my Savior, as well as him being known as Christ to them. So there is no difference. We all have the Torah written up on our hearts and minds. That was the fulfillment of God through his son. So we better think about that. So number two, we are looking at the mystery of the seven years. Jeremiah had a prophecy, all of it led to the destruction and an exile. The Lord has revealed to him the length of the judgment. So in Jeremiah 25, 4 through 11, we can see, And the Lord has sent you, all his servant, the prophets. But you have not listened or inclined your ear to hear. They say, Repent now everyone of his evil ways and his evil doing and the dwelling in the land and dwelling in the land that the Lord has given you and your fathers forever and ever. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heeded or heard my word, the whole land shall be desolate and the astonishment and the nation shall severe serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So this was the exile that was pronounced by Jeremiah. And according to Jeremiah's prophecy, for 70 years the nation would be under the dominion of Babylon. And the, at the end of the appointed time, the Lord would cause Babylon to fall and the exiles to return to Zion. The prophecy would come true in 539 B.C. with the fall of the Babylonian Empire and the rise of the Persian Persians led by King Cyrus. So think today and the past. History repeating itself. Cyrus issued a decree granting the exiled Jews. This reason is deeply rooted in the mystery, more ancient steel. Okay, so we got to think of this ancient mystery and what it's about in the book. Remember, the book we are talking about is the mystery of the Shemitah. So Jonathan Kahn is explaining a Hebrew term, which I'm very familiar with myself, that he's a rabbi, so am I, and we know these things. All right, three, a long, as long as she lay desolate. Who is the she and why is it laying desolate? The book of Second Chronicles sheds more light 
on the same destruction and exile of which Jeremiah prophesied. So now we're looking at Second Chronicles 15, 36, 15 through 9. And the Lord Yahuwah of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, but they mocked the messengers of Yahuwah, despised its words, and scoffed against his people till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, Babylon. They burned the house, burned the houses of Yahuwah, and broke down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire. The account goes on to speak of those carried away into exile, and the missing and the missing key appears. Second Chronicles 36, 20, and 21 states, And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the king of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Shabbat. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Shabbat to fulfill the seventy years. The emphasis added, okay, until the land had enjoyed her Shabbat or Sabbath is a very strange and striking comment. How does a land enjoy a Shabbat? And what could this possibly have to do with the 70 years of judgment? The answer is found in the deserts of Sinai. So we're going to look at a Torah clue. This is the fourth one. In Leviticus 26, a prophecy is given of what would happen to the people of Israel if they turned away from Yahuwah or God. Leviticus 26, 31 through 35 states, And I will lay your cities to waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation. I will bring the land to desolation. Your land shall be a land desolated and your cities wasted. Then the land shall enjoy its Shabbat as long as it lies desolate and you are in the enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Shabbat. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Shabbat when you dwelt in it. So that was the curse pronounced if they did not keep the Shemitah. The Shabbat of the land referred to its passage of the Shabbat year. The Shemitah. Okay. In another words, the Shemitah would hold keys to the timing of the Lord's judgment. But why and how? The covenant sign. Here's another thing that explains it. The Shemitah was a sign of the nation's covenant with Yahuwah or God. Everything they had, the land and all its blessings, was depending on the covenant and the relationship with Yahuwah. It was also entrusted to them, but it belonged to Yahuwah. Yahuwah. If they turned away from Yahuwah or God, then their blessings would be removed, or rather, they would be removed from their blessing. Israel to, Israel to keep the Shabbat year was acknowledging Yahuwah's sovereignty over their land and lives. See a similarity to the coronavirus and what's going on right now with the time of rest? Um, let's see, where are we? It was also an act of faith. So remember, faith was involved with this. It, is, it required their total trust in Yahuwah's 
faithfulness to provide for their needs while they ceased from farming. In the same way, to cancel all debts owed them was to sacrifice monetarily gain and again to rely on Yahuwah's providence. The keeping of the Shemitah was, above all, an act of devotion and worship. To put Yahuwah above everything else is one's life, but all this a blessing was promised. If Israel would keep the Shemitah, Yahuwah keep and blessing Israel with all that was needed and beyond. So we see here, by keeping this particular covenant promise with the Lord, they received blessing. But in return, they was to forgive debts of others, release others, and release the land for one year on the seventh year. This included the eighth year. They would have to relive on the same provisions they got from the sixth year because they got a double portion. And then in the ninth year, they began the cycle all over again. So in the eighth year, they would plant their fields. These fields would grow. And in the ninth year, they would harvest. In the meantime, on the seventh and eighth year, they refrained from harvesting, but yet they lived on the principles from the sixth year. So in, in analogy, you can see that just like you have a Shabbat at the end of the week where you have from Friday to Saturday, you also have a Shabbat for six, seven years. You work for six years and on the seventh you rested. And then on the eighth, you still lived on those provisions until the ninth year. So the blessing come in the sixth year for these two years extra that had to be honored. There is where the Shemitah lies. So we have to figure out how does the Shemitah play in other nations? And how would it affect the economy? Think. We just came out of a jubilee. A 70-year cycle. In that jubilee, there's a seven-year cycle that is represented. So you had a jubilee within a jubilee. You have a Shemitah smack dab in that jubilee. So, therefore, the land rested on the seventh year. Now we enter the eighth year and those provisions are falling back on the seventh, sixth year provision. Again, you're seeing the Jubilee cycle with the Shemitah. In that you had the Eul and so forth and so on that will be explained here shortly. So we are coming at the top of the hour and I will be cutting our thing for about five or ten minutes and then we will get back to our discussion and we'll see what Jonathan says about the Shemitah and the explanation and how that plays. And what is happening now, currently in 2020, the year of the mouth, and what is taking place with us being on a rest cycle just before the Shabbat or Pesach. And now Israel goes in to Pesach just like they did. In the time of Moses, they stay in their homes and do not leave their homes. What is the significance of this and why? And why are they in so entrenched in this particular coronavirus as being a plague? We will see through the Shemitah that things impact every nation, every tongue, and every kindred. Why right now are we sitting just before Easter, believers in Yeshua, both Christian and Jew, 
in our homes in lockdown. At the same time, our brethren in Israel that are not saved, my brethren especially, and I consider them the Christians' brethren as well because they are birthed from the nation of Israel. Why are they taking their lockdown as a Pesach? Right now, we are on a Shabbat with that. So in that time, the nation of Israel is not only practicing Passover, but they're also practicing Shabbat within it. So we will look at that and see how that plays. So I'm going to cut you off. We are a little over top of the hour. I'm sorry about that. I'm going to take me about a 10-minute rest or less, and I'll be right back with the Shemitah. Get started. Hello, hello, everybody. Kim here. Welcome back to a night of Shemitah. I'm sorry, I've been away for a couple, just a little over a week, um, kind of soaking in on the coronavirus here and what's going on. Uh, currently, where I'm at, we've got 13, maybe 15 cases in Lawrence County. Not necessarily where I'm at, they're outside of the Arnton area where I'm at, but. We do have cases. Um, overall, Ohio has about just a little over 5,000 cases so far, clocking towards 6,000 right now. Um, we've had a few days that we've leveled, according to what Governor DeWine and Acton are saying, but I'm just keeping you filled in. So, right now, <clears throat> we left off while we was talking about Israel and what they did that in order to keep the Shemitah and to keep their blessings. So now we're going to go in the broken Shemitah. What's a broken Shemitah? So to abandon or reject the Shemitah would signify an opposite. The opposite. The breaking of the covenant and the rejection of Yahuwah's sovereignty over the land and lives. It would be as if to say the land does not belong to God or Yahuwah, but to us, our blessing. Our transgressions, everything we have in our lives comes not from Yahuwah, but from work of our hands. Nor does it belong to God or Yahuwah, but to us. We will not sacrifice profit or gain for the sake of the pursuing of Yahuwah. So basically, when we reject the Shemitah, or the Jewish people or the Hebrew people reject the Shemitah. They reject God and his sovereignty over the land. What God has provided them as a gift and an inheritance from him, they're rejecting. So the Shemitah, by honoring it, or in this case, a sabbatical, um, is a time of reflecting, of letting everybody else gleam from our blessing. Okay, for the sake of pursuing Yahuwah, we have no need, no time, and no room for God or Yahuwah in our lives or in our lives of our nation. The matter of the Shemitah was critical. Upon it rested the nation's future. So right now, think, where are we at at this time frame? Just a little over, let's see, let's count back April. March, February, January, December, we're hearing China has an outbreak of a strange new virus hitting the people within days. 
tens of thousands, if not millions of people are falling in the streets dead from a virus. They don't know where it comes from. They don't know what they're doing. Meanwhile, the Chinese government is keeping it a secret from the other nations. So they're telling the other nations, there's nothing going on. Come to our party. All of a sudden, we got every nation around the world coming to China to celebrate the Lunar New Year. And then all of a sudden, people are going back to their nations because they're sending them back. And slowly, it's being spread. It goes from just a little locale to a pandemic within just a few days. And then all of a sudden, here we are locked in our homes. We can't go to church, work, anything else. And if we get out, we just go to do grocery shopping and go home. Good example, my mom is on dialysis. Right now, she cannot see her kidney doctor because of the pandemic. It makes it hard on her when we do home hemo and I have to sit on a computer or cell phone and do online discussion with them through telemedicine. And if I take her to a hospital for something to be done, they do it and then remove her because of the corona. Now, I'm hearing other states are going to arrest people or penalize people for attending church services in their cars. This is silly, people. Come on, mayors, grow up. Really, do you think that the people are exposing themselves because they're in a freaking car? This is silly. Grow up. Bashir, Cuomo, grow up. We can't keep going on forever like being on a screen. Grow up. That's all i got to say. So, we were talk, getting back to the critical point of what a Shemitah is. So think, right now we're in a period of shutdown. What would that mean? A period of shutdown? A period of rest, a period the farmers are having to give up produce, raising cattle, anything agricultural, no money flowing. Think. The lender lends to the borrower. Everything comes collapsing. Now the borrower is lending to the lender. Mm, interesting. You can't have both. Okay. The Shemitah and a fall of a nation. Israel rejected rejection of the Shemitah set in motion a series of far-reaching consequences and repercussions. If Yahuwah is not sovereign over the land and its people, then the land and its people become cut off from the Creator. Interesting that that would be brought up. We have, in the last, what, 40 to 100 years, have slowly started removing God from our schools, God from society, God from uh, general life, his commandments, his laws, his provisions to teach us things, and brought in things that don't agree like killing children when he tells us thou shall not kill and so forth and so on 
What is the repercussions when you start removing God from everything? What's he going to do to you? What's he going to do to a nation? The things he has blessed us with, he will remove. Slowly. Okay. A Yahoo-centered view is replaced by a man-centered and self-centered worldwide. So the people of Israel drove Yahuwah out of their lives to become their own gods, masters of the land, their world, their destiny. Okay? They could not rewrite the law and redefine what was right and wrong, moral and immoral. Mm-hmm. Without Yahuwah, nothing would be holy, or for that matter, unholy. Okay, interesting. So he's saying here, they're just rewriting everything to write holy and unholy. They don't care. Um, nothing had any purpose except the purpose they now assigned it to. Interesting. Not only with their land, but also with their lives, with each other, and with their children. So it lapsed over that they're doing these things and removing God out of everything and yet they're they're setting themselves up for uh, <laughs> crazy things okay um, thus they lifted up their children as sacrifices to an altar of a foreign god Interesting. Okay. It was for this, the last transgression that was judgment finally failed, the killing of their children. It began with the breaking of the Shemitah and ended in the offering of their children and daughter, their sons and daughters, to the fires of Baal or Malach or Moloch. So we first removed the Bible out of schools. We removed we moved God out of schools. We moved God away from our places of judgment. We removed God out of the center of our lives. We removed everything that was holy and just out of everything, just stripping him away from the foundations of what our forefathers created here in the United States. The Israelis did the same thing. They removed God out of everything and said it was theirs. We went from being an agricultural society that was based on rotation of crops and respecting what God had to say to a society that just goes anywhere and everywhere and hugs everything. Interesting. The sin that would bring about the nation's destruction. So now we're looking at here in this last top of the hour, the last five minutes, we're discussing the United States. How does this fit the United States right now? We removed God out of our schools. We removed the Ten Commandments out of places of schools. We removed it out of law. We removed it out of the government. We have removed it out of everything. Now, society wants to just throw God out totally. Think for themselves. Do for themselves. Lovers of money, lust, and greed. Now, in between this time, we have the thing of Roe versus Wade. Life being killed. 
the creation of God being killed. Yahuwah means the one who creates. They're killing what he creates with man and woman. Then you go into other aspects, which I'm not going to touch because I want to keep my YouTube and, and everything like that. But there's other things the Bible mentions that is stark to what they're discussing here. And these things have entered our society, just like it entered in Jewish society. The thinking of me, myself, and I, and forget what God and Jesus are all about. We've come to the point that we got men like Bill Gates saying he wants to make a vaccine. And with that vaccine, he wants to have a mark. This is crazy. But the Bible talked about these things would happen. The sad point is man has regressed instead of progressed with God. They've regressed with Hasatan. And we've got to return to our roots, believers. We've got to return to our roots of where we started from. And where did we start from? We started from a father who loves us, who cares for us. He cared so much to give of himself that we might be brought back in. Even though Adam and Eve sinned, even though we are born in sin, from sin, he wants to bring us home as the prodigal children, daughters and sons of the living God through his son. So, you know, I don't see the point in somebody trying to make something that is not. We have a healer. Why do we need a man giving us a vaccine? Not that I'm not against vaccines, I'm not. I just don't want somebody giving me a mark. That's my point. So, let's think. The Shemitah judgment, are we being judged? Are we being warned? I believe so. Why I say the things I said, there is a lot that the Heavenly Father, Avi, has showed me. And he's also revealed a lot of things about himself. And I was one of these children that was defiant. I will not be defiant anymore. Because he's a loving and just and caring father. I cannot see with my eyes open phantom that a church is not essential but yet a Planned Parenthood is more essential than a church during a crisis when we shouldn't be thinking about murdering life. We should be thinking about preserving life. But yet, they're pressing the point. And I'm speaking about the Democratic Party. They are pressing a point. They are making it a point to euthanize life. In a time when we are facing a crisis. A very real crisis. But yet... They keep ignoring the crisis and talk about a child being a crisis. That a woman has a crisis. And that crisis is to, to take herself, put herself in a chair, and let a doctor murder what's in her. It's sick.
it's absolutely abominably sick. So I'm going to leave it there for about 10 minutes, 5 to 10 minutes. I'm cutting off. We are at the top of the hour, and I'll be right back. Hello, 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 my viewers on iPod Land. Welcome to a night of Shemitah. Um, I've planned to t- go ahead and take our two sessions and have them posted for you guys to listen to on iPod. And I welcome my Facebook viewers as well. So now we're going over the Shemitah's desolation. So let's see what it says here. During the Shemitah, there was not to be no sowing or reaping of the land. So the land had to rest. The nation had rejected the ordinances and had worked the land continually, exploiting it for gain. When the Shemitah returned to the land in the form of judgment, all sowing and reaping ceased. All tending of vineyards and groves came to an end. No one worked the land. Though judgment and calamity, the ordinances was now fulfilled. The Shemitah, everyone who owed a vineyard or a grove, had to open it to those in need. Every field had to now be accessible to the poor. Gates of walls and fences, fenced land were unlocked and left open for the entire year. In the destruction of 586 BC, the gates were opened by force. Walls were broken down. Fences were destroyed. Vineyards were exposed. Groves were left empty. Unprotected and private lands became public access to all. So here we can see to this point that everything become accessible. In the judgment, the Shemitah was fulfilled. On the Shemitah's last day and climatic day, all debts were canceled, all credit annulled, and the nation's financial accounts were transformed in a massive nullification. In 586 BC, the nation's financial accounts were likewise transformed in a massive wipe away of the nation's financial realm. Calamity canceled and wiped out debt and nullified the credit by force. As it had always done, the Shemitah has transformed the nation's financial realm only now by the force of destruction. The effort of a Shemitah was to wipe out that which had been built up. In 586 BC, the Shemitah wiped away the kingdom itself. That which had been built up, the nation's palaces and the towers were all wiped away. The kingdom itself had been nullified, meaning dispersed. The severe Shabbat. The Shabbat was the Shabbat of the year, the year of rest, of the fallow ground of unkeeping vineyards of stillness. In 586 BC, the year that followed with the people in exile, the land of Israel rested. Its fields lay fallow, fallow, its groves unkept, its vineyards unattended, its threshing floor silent, its olive trees abandoned, and its vines pressed presses steel. What was ordained from Sinai was now fulfilled. 
in Leviticus 26.34, we can see, And then the land shall enjoy its Shabbat, as long as it lays desolate, and you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and enjoy its Shabbat. There has been a total of 70 Shabbats, or Shemitahs, years, that the nation had not observed. So Israel's judgment would last 70 years. For every Shemitah they missed, or Shabbat, the rest, they served 70 years of judgment. So in Leviticus 26.35 we see, As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time, it did not rest on your Shabbat when you dwelt in it. So when you live in the land and it's not given a Shabbat, then in turn, judgment is laid and the Shabbat is given. So now we're going to look at the Shemitah and world history. Where does it play? So here we're going to see in the Shemitah and world history how it plays in the historical ramifications. Number one, the Shemitah that fell on the land of Israel in 586 BC was pivotal event in biblical history. So this was a pivotal moment in time. Uh, number two, the Jewish history and world history play together. In the temple, in it, the temple was destroyed and the word of the Hebrew prophets fulfilled. In the despera, or the scattering of the Jewish people throughout the world, would begin and the stage set for the formation of what would be known as the Judaism and the coming of the Jewish rabbi named Yeshua or Jesus. So this is talking about the present time in Israel. It's setting itself up. The diaspora plays in this. Um, they return to the land. Cyrus fulfills it. And then here comes Yeshua, whose life would irrevocably change the history of the world. Behind it all was the mystery of the Shemitah. So he was born in a time of the Shemitah. In another words, this obscure little known ancient mystery has already affected the entire planet and those who live on it to vast to measure. Okay, so here's the questions I pose. But could there be more to it? Could the mystery of the Shemitah still be at work, moving? the modern world, even in our day? If so, what form would it take on? How would the Shemitah manifest in modern world? For the answer and other keys, we need to look at the next key in our next chapter. So now I'm going to go into our next chapter, which is chapter 3, and we're going to go over, uh, let's see here, some of what we're going to be talking about in chapter 3. Um... See the mystery of the Shemitah and the keys. What? Let's go back to our beginning. The second key. So let's look at the second key that we will go over. The third key, the prophetic manifestation. So we are going to be talking about the third key and possibly the fourth key, actually. 
Okay, so here's what we'll be looking at in next week's thing is the third key, chapter six, the prophetic manifestation. What if the mystery was still in effect? Okay, the Shemitah and economic connection, economic collapse, financial collapse, the Shemitah observance and cataclysm, the Shemitah in modern translation, sowing and reaping in the modern world, the Shemitah as a prophetic sign. There we go. The Shemitah and the two empires, the Shemitah as a pattern. What would a Shemitah look like in the day and its overall manifestations? The economic manifestations, the prophetic manifestations, and the global manifestations. So there is our points. I just might go through this uh, tonight, actually. So let's start the third key, the prophetic manifestations. I'll read it from the book so we get a little bit of insight since we've done some Bible. Now let's see what he has to say. So we are looking at what the mystery uh, what if the mystery was still in effect today? So according to the book of Second Chronicles, the mystery of the Shemitah was opened behind one of the most pivotal events in world history. The destruction of the kingdom, the kingdom in 586 BC. But what is what if the mystery is still in effect? Interesting. What if it has a manifestation again in modern world? And what if the oper it's operating right now, still touching, affecting, and determining the world's course of history in the modern times? What would it look like? So ans ask that question. If the Shemitah, which I believe the Shemitah does play an important role, how would it affect world history? So... Now let's go into the Shemitah's economic connection. In, in the modern economics, a very small percentage of people work the land, gathering its harvest and tending its vineyards. So how would the Shemitah break the barrier to operate in the modern world? What happens if we look at the effect and consequences on the Shemitah in purely technical and general terms? Interesting. What's its results? And Unrele relevant but also surprising applications in our modern day. Could it be the financial realms, economic realms, realms of labor, employment, production, consumption, and trade? Modern economics are not centered on agriculture, but are industrial and post-industrial. All of these attributes still apply. Thus, the Shemitah was a manifestation in modern times. It would affect the nation financially, financial realms, its economic realms, its realms of labor, employment, and productivity, consumption, and trade. So, he's saying that if we take a Gregarian and apply it to a modern society, pre and post modern society, how would it apply? So, think about that. Because the next thing we're going to look at is economics. Right now, we are in an economic downturn. Could it possibly be that we are in a time of Shemitah? Think about it. And we did not heed the Shemitah? Remember, he said the Shemitah had a playback to 9-11. He said the Shemitah had a playback to the fall of Israel. He said the Shemitah had a play 
all the way back through history, how would it play today? How would we make a Shemitah fit a modern concept? Interesting to know. So let's go over economic collapse. What's an economic collapse? An overall course of the Shemitah is the nation's productivity is a severe decrease. Okay. Now, I'm not going to explain all this, the demand and so forth. We'll go to the next one. During a Shemitah, the nation's labor is greatly reduced or comes to a sensation. During the Shemitah, the buying and selling of the land products are restricted and the fruits of labor are abandoned. So these are the negatives. Financial collapse. On the climactic day of Eel 29, the forces of the Shemitah causes credit to be canceled and debts to be wiped away. Interesting that we're right now in a time where they're trying to balance debts and cancellation. The nation's financial courses are transformed, nullified, and wiped clean. The description again points to us as an economic implosion or more specifically, a financial collapse. Such collapses produce corporate failures, bank failures, foreclosures, and bankruptcies. Debts and credit are nullified. And in a financial crisis involving stock market crashes, financial accounts are transformed, nullified, and wiped away. Billions of dollars are wiped away in a matter of hours or minutes. The effect of the consequences of a Shemitah consists pointly in the direction of a specific event, an economic, economic and financial collapse. This resembles resem resemblance of the Shemitah to an economic implosion has been noted by the even by the rabbis. So even today rabbis talk about the Shemitah and implosion. So, you're looking at a rabbi teaching you what a Shemitah is and reading from a rabbi that has wrote a book about the Shemitah. So, pastors, teachers of the Lord, look, God's telling you something. What's happening? What's going on? We are in a Shemitah. But in that Shemitah, there is blessing. There is blessing if we follow what he wants us to do as believers. We will not be the lender or the borrower. We will be the lender. So what do we do at this point? We're at a, a, a time of rest and a time of reset. What are we going to do? Pray and ask the Lord to help us. Or continue down the course that we're following. He's put the walls up. Now we got to find out why. So we'll be back. We're at the top of the hour. And I'll be back in a few minutes. I'll see you do it again.
said I there's like a there's like a ten times greater anointing on Billy today. It just keeps <laughs> Quickly to, to that song. I, I 
I believe I'm going to see you do it again. Because he's a God that moves mountains. But here's what I want you to hear. There's a moment right now that God wants to have in this service. God wants to do something. Anybody agree? Amen. And if you're watching at home, God wants you to partner in this. There was a time. Say time. God. There was a time when the church didn't have a building. They were tent revivals. They didn't have parking lots. They didn't have bank accounts. They didn't have tax exempt status. They didn't have any lights. Go, David. Any cameras. They didn't have all that we have. But they had something that we've been missing. They had a power that was connected to their shout. And the power in their shout came from the presence of the one that they were in whose name is Jesus. And I, I want to take you back in history for just a moment and show you before there were buildings and parking lots and lights and cameras that the church was greater, had a greater impact than we've ever had inside of our buildings. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, all the believers, these are all the people that experienced Jesus. It says they had one heart and one soul and nobody said that what I possess is mine. They all said what I possess is ours. Amen. Reminds me of Brent when he got these new speakers. He said, I may have bought it, I may own it, but it's ours. Look what we got. They had a different mentality than we have today. When somebody got blessed, they all got blessed. Amen? That's why when Elder Rick gets a swimming pool, we're all going to go swimming in it. Amen? <laughs> they had one soul, one heart, and their possessions were together. And in verse 33, it says, with great power, the apostles testified about the resurrection of the Lord. And because they testified with great power. Somebody said power. Power. They had power in the testimony. They, they didn't have a sissy shout. They didn't have a sissy testimony. It was more than emotion, though there was emotion in it. It says they had the power in their testimony and as a result your Bible declares these words it says great grace somebody say great grace great grace great grace was on them all and verse 34 says there was no one among them who lacked I believe that now is the hour to go back to the beginning for the church to have a shout. I heard, I saw a shirt I liked that said, hashtag shout like Shambach. We don't need to shout just like R.W. Shambach. We need to shout like Paul and Peter. We need to testify like those that were there and seen him because we have seen him in our darkest hours. And the Bible says as a result of the power of his testimony that great grace fell on everybody and there wasn't one of them that was without. I'm here to tell you that as we shift our faith upward and outward from what's on the inside, there's about to be a release from the heavens of a great provision and you're going to go from being without to being with. There's some people connected to you are about to get a financial breakthrough just because they're sitting next to you in worship because it was the power of their testimony that released great grace to everybody and then everybody
everybody, say everybody. Everybody was provided for. So we're going to sing this song and then Rick's going to come preach. But I need you to find some power in your testimony. I need you to release some power in your praise this morning as you direct your thoughts towards the heavens. We've seen God do great things. We have read about God doing great, great things. Somebody needs to release a powerful praise this morning. I believe God. I'm going to see you do it again. We're going to wake up and the coronavirus is going to be gone. God's about to do a reset. He's about to set some people up for the greatest blessings of their life. If you believe the greatest days of the church and the greatest days for your family and the greatest days for your community are in front of you and not behind you, why don't you go ahead and shout and clap your hands, release some kind of praise this morning. We didn't come to have church. We came to be the church, and there's a difference. So we're going to sing this one more time. And the Bible says, the Bible says that they gave. They gave. They, 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 they were a people of generosity. And this morning, we want to thank you for your generosity. We want to thank you that in the midst of a trying time, we have still been able to pay bills for people. We have paid for medication for people. We have given quarters out to the elderly so that they can do laundry. We have given food. We have done a lot of great things so that nobody went without because you were faithful and you worshiped God with your tithes and your offering. This is not a time for the church to operate in fear and put your wallet back in your pocket and not give to God because you are afraid. Now is the time to give in faith. We need you to give. We need you to go to our website, impact-ironton.com right now and give your offering to the Lord. Those of you that are watching online, we need you to become partners to help us as we advance the kingdom of God and release the goodness of God by the provision of God that's in your pocket right now that belongs to Him. So would you give this morning so that we can continue to do the work of God here on earth? If you believe we're going to see it again, even as Elder Rick comes to preach, lift up your hands, lift up your voice. Let's declare it one more time. Here we go, Billy.
<laughs> All right. Not today, devil. <laughs> Somebody praise the Lord for that worship this morning. If you really, really got a blessing from the Lord from that worship this morning, come on, let's let Arcton, Ohio know that we got a blessing from that worship this morning. I want to hear some horns honking. Come on, let's praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We came to praise this morning. All right. I just want to honor some people this morning. I'm going to copycat Kimberly back there as uh, she preached a couple weeks ago so beautifully. She wanted to honor some people. And I want to honor, first and foremost, my wife. We've been married uh, eight days today. So you'll have to excuse us if we got a little extra hitch in our giddy up. I want to honor our pastor, David and Amy Amos. They, uh, they work really hard to make sure that we're able to still come here and, and worship together. Yes. They pray for <laughs> us. They pray for you. So we want to honor them this morning. Honor you guys for coming out here Amen. and yes. being a part of this service with us. Yes. It, you could very well sit at home and watch online. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I want to honor you for making the effort to come out here and be with us this morning. Yes. Amen. Yes. And uh, this morning, we're going to honor the king. Yeah. Amen. And that's what we're here for. That's right. So we're going to continue in the series that we've been preaching on for a little while now, the appearances of Jesus. So we're going to, today, we're going to look at verses of scripture from John chapter 20. And I'm actually going to hit two of these appearances because you can't talk about one without the other. So I'm going to be a gospel hog this morning. And uh, we'll see how it ends up. So we'll start at chapter 20, verse 19, and then we'll follow up with some, uh, some verses in the next subheading after that. But this is an appearance of Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. 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 An appearance of the resurrected Jesus to his disciples. Now it says that they were in a room together. They were locked up. They were they were uh, had the door shut because they were living in some troubling times. They were living in times where they were afraid for their life. They were living in times where there was chaos going on. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Yes. They were living in a time where they were afraid to go outside. But they did not forsake the assembling of themselves in that chaotic time. Come on. Come on, come on, come on. We ought to be following as we are the the apostleship of those and the dedication, the motivation of those apostles that even in chaotic times they did not forsake the assembling of themselves. God says. And that's what we're doing here this morning. Amen. Right. And it says that they had the door locked. Now hear me. It, they took precautions in chaotic times. They were prepared in chaotic times, but they still met together Come as on. believers. Preach, Elder. And it says that Jesus manifested himself in that He didn't unlock the door. He didn't come in through the door because I want to tell you that he was already in that room. <laughs> and he manifested himself 
to them at that time. Aren't you glad that even before we see Jesus in the room, he's already there. He's already listening to what we say. He's already watching over us as we're there. And it said that Jesus heard what Thomas had said. Let's go backtrack here just a little bit. It says Jesus in there, it says Jesus said to them apostles, those apostles that were gathered, that as my father sent me, I now send you. Amen. I send you with power. I send you with authority. I send you with the authority that is in my name and through my blood to cast out devils, to heal the sick, to preach gospel repentance in the name above all names. I send you now. You see, that is what a disciple is. A disciple is one who lived with a rabbi and learned from the teacher. He lived with the teacher. He ate with the teacher. Yep. He slept uh, in the teacher's house. He learned exactly how the teacher done the job so that when the teacher passed away or passed on, something happened to him that he could carry on that work. I'm telling you that we are here. We are commissioned to carry on the work of the risen Christ. We are here to carry the message of repentance and salvation and sanctification and consecration and holiness. And then the power shall come. Come on. Ooh, preach it. And it says Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. There's something about that name Jesus Amen. this morning. It Amen. says Jesus blew on them. Ooh. Jesus blew on them and said receive the Holy Ghost. What kind of preparation is that? You see, they didn't receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit until the dispensation in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. But Jesus blew on them to prepare them to receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. You see, some of us can't get a blessing because we're not willing to go through the preparation. Some of us can't get what God has in store for us because we're not willing to go through the process. Right. I'm here to tell you that whatever you're going through today, whatever is going on in your life, that God is preparing you for a blessing that is above and beyond anything that you could ever think, ask, or desire because He is a God of preparation. Yeah. And sometimes the preparation doesn't look what you think it should look like. He blew on the disciples. That doesn't seem very powerful. But sometimes the preparation for our blessing doesn't, doesn't appear to be how we think it should. You see, I have failed many times in my life. Every failure that I've gone through in my life, whether it was drug abuse, drug addiction, whether it was uh, failing out of college, whether it was the bad relationships that I've been. You see, everything that I've gone through in my life, well, at that moment, at that time, I thought it was horrible. I thought it was, I thought it was grotesque and disgusting that God would do this to me. But you see, God, in my weakness, in my feelings, was preparing me to be exactly where I'm at today. God is a God of preparation, process, and progress. Yeah. Now, it says that what the disciples told Thomas that was not there with them at that moment that they saw the resurrected Lord. It says that the disciples told Thomas that they, they saw the hands, the scars and the hands and the feet and the side. And it said, Thomas says, 
The Bible says that Thomas said, unless I put my hand in his scars and in his side, I will not believe. You see, Thomas said, unless God does for me what he did for you, I will not believe. How many of us have said that in our lifetime? How many of us have said, well, you gave David a financial blessing. If you don't do the same for me, I'm not going to believe. You gave, uh, you gave Kevin and Wendy a financial blessing. If you don't do that for me, God, I'm just not going to believe in you. Jesus heard this. Pastor David preached last week that Jesus, if Jesus showed up in our conversation, would our conversation be different? I'm here to tell you that Jesus is in our conversation. So our conversation should be different. Amen. Jesus heard Thomas's prayer. You see, we're pretty hard on Thomas. We call it, he's, he's come to be known as Doubting Thomas. But I have sympathy for Thomas because I have been Thomas. Right. That's right. Many times in my life, I have sat down and said, God, how could you do this to me? If you're really real, appear to me now. If you're really real, send a camel through my living room right now. <laughs> We've <We've laughs> done in the most crazy ways. But when Thomas was absent from the disciples gathering the week before. Maybe they were at church. Maybe they were gathering. It says that they're on the first day of the week, which is the Lord's day. Maybe they were praying. Maybe they were worshiping. Maybe they were studying. Thomas wasn't there. We don't know where he was at. But let me tell you, the next week, somebody say the next week. Next week. The next week, Thomas showed up to church and he saw a miracle. How many times do we lay out of church because we're tired, we have a headache, we have a hangnail. We have all this ridiculous stuff going on. We can't seem to get up and, and motivate ourselves to go to church. You don't know what you're missing. That's right. Why don't we show up and let God show up as Thomas did. You see, Thomas was told by Jesus, touch my hands, touch my side. And the most important part about this, Jesus says, be faithful. Don't be faithless and believe. You see, Thomas's mindset had to change before he could touch the resurrected Christ. Before he said, unless I see it myself, I'm not going to believe. That's an earthly mindset. But he had to, he had to give himself, he had to change his mindset to that of a kingdom mindset. Jesus said, be faithful and believe. And once he did, he didn't even need to touch Jesus to believe. He said, oh Lord, my God, there you are. The resurrected Christ, the one who I sought after and the one that I learned from, the one that I mourned when, I, when they crucified you on the Roman cross. Here you are today, risen. Oh Lord, my God. You see, there's areas of our lives today that we need to change our mindset Let him hear it from an earthly mindset to a kingdom mindset. We are plagued with depression, hopelessness. I know about a lady named Hannah in First Samuel, in the book of First Samuel, chapter one, who it says that she was depressed. She was crying, weeping because she felt that God had failed her and given her a son. 
It says that she cried out and said, if you give me a son, I will devote his very life to you and you can have him for the rest of his life as a legacy, as a servant. But she didn't stop there. She got herself a kingdom mindset and went to the house of God and to the man of God and asked him to pray for her. And he did. And she had a son and his, her son's name was Samuel. She had to get a kingdom mindset, not an earthly mindset. An earthly mindset says, why, oh, why, God, did you do this to me? Why, oh, why, God, could I not have a son? But the kingdom mindset says, get up, take some action, go to the house of God and get some prayer on you. I see that we need a kingdom mindset in our relationships. You see, Ruth, who was in the lineage of Jesus, by the grace of God. She was so broken and disturbed when her husband died that she stayed with her mother-in-law. Yeah. Who does that? <laughs> <laughs> but she stayed with her mother-in-law to help her and to be, a, to be a helpmate to her. And when they returned to the city of David, the city that David would be born in Bethlehem, one of the kinsmen of her mother-in-law, you guys know the story, you can read it, uh, the kinsman of her mother-in-law <laughs> left handfuls of purpose in his field so that she could glean from. Handfuls of purpose. That's a whole other message for a whole other time. But just to say that Ruth went where God said she needed to be, where she was encouraged to be by her mother-in-law. By the way, if you don't encourage the people of God... If you don't use the, the power of life and death that is in your tongue to build people up and you tear people down, have mercy on you. She was encouraged by her mother-in-law to go and to, to be with Boaz, a very wealthy man. So because she did what God would have her to do, she went and got her a husband. She went and got her a wealthy husband that not only took care of her, but took care of her mother-in-law for her sake. You see, the kingdom, mind, the, the kingdom mindset is different than the earthly mindset. We talk about why we can't find a good woman. We can't find a good man. Are you looking in the bar? Are you looking in the house of God? We can't find that a relationship that will last more than a night. Where are you looking at? The kingdom mindset is not to go out and find someone to have a one-night stand with. The kingdom mindset is to find someone who you can build a ministry upon, you can build a life with, and glorify God in that relationship. Yeah. Let me tell you something. I had the, the earthly mindset for a long time in relationships. I had as earthly as you could possibly get. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor David. <laughs> but once I got a kingdom <laughs> mindset, I got no a comment. Who would become my wife. Hallelujah. She sat down with me last night and helped me prepare this message for y'all today. So somebody give God some praise that there's still godly people out there for us to be in relationships with. That there's still godly people out there for us to find and build a relationship based on him. Amen. And that's a gift from God. A kingdom mindset in our relationships. Finances and provision. We are lacking largely a kingdom mindset in this area in our lives. 
finances and provision. The widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings chapter 17, when the man of God came hungry, she said, in her earthly mindset, she said, all I have is some cakes, some meals, a little bit of oil, and I'm going to go gather up some sticks, prepare it for me and my son, and we're going to eat it and die. That's an earthly mindset. But then she got her a kingdom mindset and said, here you go, man of God, have everything that we have left. It's yours because we know that you're a prophet. We know that you're true. The prophet of God ate it and be sustained. And her kingdom mindset led to a blessing that did not fail. It says that the barrel of meal did not fail and the oil did not waste. She had an abundant blessing that would last forever and ever because of her kingdom mindset. We got coronavirus going on. We got people laid off. You say to me, Elder Rick, I can't afford to tithe. No, in this time, in this moment, in this season, you can't afford not to tithe. Amen. You can't afford not to tithe because I, along with everyone here, need financial provision from God. God said, give me the tithe, test me, bring me the tithe, and see if I don't open up the very windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that cannot be contained. Right. You cannot afford not to tithe. The kingdom mindset says, bring it to God. Bring it to God, and he will provide. Exceedingly, abundantly, and above all, which you could ever ask for or desire. Now some people say, where was Thomas in the first encounter? Where was he? We don't know. But my, my, imagine, my sanctified imagination says, maybe he was hurt. Maybe he had been hurt by the events. Maybe his faith was so weak that he had already went out and tried to find another place to put his faith in. I've done that before. And I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I would say you have too. That your faith in God grows so weak because of something that someone has done or said to you that you lose your faith in God and you find somewhere else to put it. Maybe you put it in a bottle of alcohol. Maybe you put it in a bottle of pills. Maybe you put it in a bag of heroin. Maybe you put it in a woman or a man or a computer screen with something vulgar on it. Maybe you put your faith in money. Maybe you put your faith in a business. Maybe you put your faith in your home. Maybe you put your faith in people. But I'm here to tell you that when Jesus showed up, Thomas put his faith in Jesus. And that's what made all the difference. Amen. Why don't we get our blessing? Where are we looking? What kind of mindset do we have? You see, the kingdom mindset says we need to be exactly where God wants us to be. Not where we want to be. There's an old story, Billy, called Acres of Diamonds. Some of you may have heard it. There's a lot of different versions of it. 
But it's about a man named Lamar, and he lived on the continent of Africa back when diamonds became, started becoming very popular. And he was a poor farmer, owned some land, and uh, was just there working his land, you know. And then the urge to become a diamond miner, to become wealthy, hit him so hard that he sold his land, left his family, and went off in search of diamonds. He traveled the known world to find these little stones that are so valuable and that he would hold so dear. He never found them. He became so distraught and he became so depressed that he threw himself into a river and killed himself. Now on the other side, the man who bought the land from Lamar was out working one of the, in one of the creeks one day about a gigantic stone. And he brought it in and put it on his mantle because he thought it was neat. And then a visitor came and picked up that stone and said, do you know what this is? This is a diamond. This is the biggest diamond that I've ever seen in my life. And come to find out that whole piece of property was covered with diamonds. The largest diamond mine in the world at that time. Even the jewels in the Queen of England's crown will be mined on that property. Yeah, Kimberly, Africa. You see, a kingdom mindset says look where you are because Jesus is already there. Now sometimes I know that there seems like there's no tomorrow. Sometimes I know that there seems like there's no solution to the problem. Sometimes I know that it seems dark. Sometimes I know that you feel your trials and troubles will never end. But I'm here to tell you that God, Jesus said, stand right where you are because I'm right there beside you. Put your hand out and touch my hands. Put your hand out and touch my side. Oh, God, I'm telling you, he's here this morning. And if you're here this morning and you need his touch, if you're here this morning and you need the faith, he's here. Just call on Jesus. Billy's going to sing us a great song. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. And it says, I want to thank you, Lord, for every time you've heard me pray. It says, when I was, I was so down and out, you showed up and made me want to shout. Just like Thomas, Jesus showed up and made him want to shout. He's here this morning, and I want to shout too. Come on, Billy. Uh-oh. I just want to thank you. 